Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 294. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show, man. We're on a roll with these guests that are coming in. I've had this, this string of these authentic, genuine, passionate about leadership souls coming on Dose of Leadership, and, and I'm just so excited to bring this next episode to you, Nathan Jamail. I came across him just a couple days ago when I was commuting back from my airline job. I was in Dallas Airport, had a couple hours to kill, and I walked by the bookstore, and they had a nice, beautiful end cap with Nathan Jamel's three of his best-selling books, The Leadership Playbook, The Sales Leaders Playbook, and The Sales Professionals Playbook. So I'm like, who is this guy? I've never heard of Nathan Jamel. And I picked up the book, and I started reading and man, it resonated right off the page. And this is the first couple I said, man, this guy gets it. I have got to get him on the show. And that's what I did. I reached out. Here we are three days later. He's on Dose of Leadership talking about uh, leadership and pr primarily the book, The Leadership Playbook, which you're absolutely going to love. And I'm halfway through right now. I'm just absolutely loving this. needs to be must reading. This needs to be on your bookshelf if you're interested in leadership. I believe in it that much. It's resonating with me that much. He spent the last two decades helping and coaching leaders and organizations and how to bid, build winning cultures. And that's what we talk about in this show, culture and how to develop that coaching mindset. And that's what's unique about what Nathan brings to the table. All right. Again, check out my new course, Online Legacy LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. That will give you all the information to my brand new online leadership course. Again, 20 videos, four hours of leadership training. And if you pay a little extra, you can get some one-on-one -on -one coaching up to four hours one-on-one -on -one with me to cement the material. It's great if you're brand new in leadership or if you're a seasoned leader, there's always something there. So check it out at LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com or you can find the links on DoseOfLeadership.com as well. All right. Without further ado, here is Nathan Jamail talking about the leadership playbook, culture, and how to develop that coaching mindset here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Nathan, I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thanks, Richard. It's great to be here with you. And this, this is so fresh for me because I was just, as I was telling you before we started recording, I was walking through the Dallas-Fort Worth terminal, Terminal A, trying to get home to Wichita. And they had this great end cap sitting up. I don't know if you knew that or if, if you knew that at that airport, but it's a beautiful display with all your products. And I'm like, who is this guy? I never heard of him. How can I? The leadership junkie never heard of, of Nathan. And I picked up your stuff. And I, I got to tell you, man, I love what I'm reading so far. I mean, again, just thank you for coming on the show. This is great stuff. Thanks, man. And yeah, you're in Terminal A. And, and you know, one thing I try and do is when I travel is I try and – and I and you mentioned Jeff's name is – I try to meet every airport store employee uh, that my book's in, and we're in about 76 uh, stores. And in fact, I'm flying out of Austin on uh, Friday, and I'll be hanging out with um, Daryl and doing a book signing with him there in Austin. So yeah, I'm noticed, glad you saw it, and I'm glad you got to meet Jeff, and, and you enjoyed the book. Yeah, and I noticed that you signed all of them. They were autographed copies. I said, wow, you signed all, every single one of these. That's crazy, yep. man. It is. And my goal is to make sure um, is to get to all 72 stores and sign as uh, that way when people buy a book in the airport, they uh, see that it's a signed copy. Awesome. So, man. Yeah. 
Yeah. So 20 years, over two decades, you've been helping and coaching leaders and organizations, everything that I'm very familiar with and love doing. And, and as a, how did, how did you start? I mean, how did you start becoming passionate about, you know, helping leaders and organizations make their culture better, helping leaders individually? How did it all start for you? You know, I'll make it as short as I can. You know, I'm a working schmuck. Always have been. I'm not a writer by trade. I'm a, I'm a C minus student, man. And, and in 1998, a leader told me when I was a director at Sprint said, if you don't learn to love to read, you're going to get left behind. And so, you know, that kind of started my learning experience of making me better at who I am. But my whole real passion was kind of, um, I'd say an accident that when I got into management, you know, one thing I've always known about myself is I'm the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> and so, which makes me a good learner. I've, you know, I, I've been copying people's answers, as I say, through my entire life through school. And so when I, when I got into management, you know, I was able to see all the stuff that we did wrong. And when we would want to fix morale, we'd do the exact opposite and would kill morale. And, and we would try to hire people. And, and what I learned more than anything in business is we made employees worse more often than we made them better. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I created this process back in the mid nineties and it's kind of kept growing and growing and growing. And, and today it still grows on how do we actually coach employees versus manage them? And I've been real blessed to have some great mentors and some bad leaders to help me perfect that over mm -hmm. my career. Yeah, I love how you said the bad leaders, because isn't that always the case, man? Sometimes you learn way more from that bad leadership you experienced than sometimes the good leadership. I know I can, I can half a dozen times think I am not going to do that, you know? Right, yeah. right. Or even scarier is you say, oh my gosh, I do that. I had no idea yeah. it was that bad. Amen. Yeah, that's happened to yeah. me too. Like, I do that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's so awesome. Well, what, you know, I love what you said in that. And I got to tell you, that is what resonated with me when I started flipping through the leadership playbook. Was this idea of coaching versus management, I guess, if you will, or leadership, coaching versus leadership. And it's, you know, and I, and that resonated with me because I have always said, Hey, you know, I always ask the question and it's kind of an, a cliche one now, what's the difference between leadership and management? And we go down that path, but it's kind of the same thing, but there, there's a, a more refreshing, I don't want to say twist, but a revelation when I was thumbing yeah. through that. Is, that. is that a fair way to say it? It is. And, and I think the biggest difference that you, you're seeing in the book is that a lot of people talk about theories of leadership and they talk about how that's different than management. And what I focus on the, is the action of the leader. And a lot of organizations say they coach their employees and they're a coaching leader. But when you really dig into their actions, they don't coach at all. They might do some feedback which they call coaching, and is an, it's an important part of coaching, but it's not coaching. And so a lot of the times when people start to realize it and see it, because here's the facts, coaching is unbelievably time-consuming yeah. and difficult. And so people go, hey, listen, I hire good people, and I expect them to know how to do their job. And I said, you know, I think, you got, I think you're looking at that in an entitlement way. You need to hire good people, and they should expect you to make them better. Yeah, that is a that is so awesome that you said that because I'm thinking about some of the conversations that I've had. You know, either when I've been in in the corporate arena or I've been trying to sell my services to the corporate arena. That is kind of what I butt up against. They're like, "Why do I need you?" And it's kind of like, "Well," and I don't. It's and, and I'm not bashing HR here. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. 
But I find that, that a lot of times we're sitting there talking to these HR reps and we think as a CEO is like, well, they're the ones that are going to handle this kind of cultural development, this professional development, or even the coaching aspect. They may even say coaching. But you're right. They don't ever really do the coaching. So what does that mean to you? It's it's almost like they're really good at the processes, the procedures, the organizational, keeping us within the lines, keeping OSHA off our back, making sure that everybody's got their benefits and all this. And we never have time to really coach somebody because, as you said, the payoff is not immediate. I mean, it takes a long time to see results from coaching somebody, as we all know. Yeah, I'll give you two things. First of all, when you're talking about a company in their HR department, HR's job, and I'll tell you, I'll tell any CEO this to their face, because um, I don't mean it with arrogance. I mean it with all sincerity and heart. It's not HR, HR's job to coach any employee except their own employee. If those employees, the only person who should coach an employee is the one that's above them in the organizational chart. Amen. Yeah. Okay. So you can have training departments do trainings, but there's a difference between training and coaching. Training is learning something new, learning about a new product, a new service, or a new behavior. Coaching is about making people better at things they already know. Yeah. And and so the if you I always tell people you can't you can't contract out coaching. Um, unless you are the student who you're, you know, I can pay you to coach me, but I can't pay you to coach my people. Right. Cause that's my job. Yeah. I love that. And you said so, that, yeah. yeah. And so we spend a lot of time coaching coaches on how to be better coaches. It's almost like, well, it, it is a requirement in my opinion. I want to see what you think about this. If I'm, I go into, if I'm a leader and I have my team and I've got my direct reports, I've always told them, I said, look, you already have all you need to do to be significant in this organization. You already have it in you. It's my job to extract it out of you. That's what I think a coach does. They do. And, 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 and they take, have you ever seen the movie facing the giants? Yeah. It's uh-huh. an old movie. And, and the, and the coach, I show the video all the time. The coach um, has the kid, put the other kid on his back and yeah, he's and like, can you him. crawl to the 50 yard line? He goes, no. You know, he's like, I can do it with no one on my back. He goes, I want you to do it with this kid on your back. And so anyway, he crawls and he goes all the way to the other end of the side of the field. And it's a great emotional scene. Right. And I always tell people, if you take that into our business, a coach's job is to get people to do things they didn't believe they could do before. Yep. It's a- and this eliminates all those obstacles that get in our way. And, and in real life business, you know, this, this falls into into competitive issues. This falls into customer service issues. This falls into uh, uh, market share issues. All those issues that we face in business have a lot more to do with the lack of belief system and the willingness of a coach to push people than anything else. I love that. God, that resonates with me deeply. I love that you said that and you said it so well. And I think if we get to the brass tacks, so let's, let's dive into um, what are the differences? How can we, if I, okay, I'm a leader. I hear what you're saying. How can I start thinking like a coach? I mean, I, I can say the words, but what do I really have to do to start thinking like a coach? Let me give you five basic principles and we're going to break them all up uh, and starting with the first one. And that is creating a culture of coaching that allows people to thrive versus survive. Now, that's a great, great, cool catch, but there's a lot of meat to this and the meat's really hard. And here's what that means. That means anyone with a bad attitude on your team, you should fire them. 
Mm, yeah. Anyone who's not doing what is something better for the team, we should fire them. So often we have people on our teams that have a bad attitude, but we keep them because either they've been with us for a long time or they they have a lot of responsibility. And God forbid, if we let them go, then our business would crumble. The even scarier part of this is we don't confront them first. Yeah. So I always tell leaders, before you fire them, have you ever told them? No, I don't, I don't know. I haven't told them. And so <laughs> yeah. the first aspect of it is you have to create a culture that people have to follow the rules to stay in. It's, it's the same reason why in sports you see these athletes uh, get go from team to team, the Terrell Owens, the Ocho Cinco's, all these guys that in business we look at them and we say, look at those guys. They have a bad attitude. In corporate America, they'd get a corner office because we would sacrifice the culture and the belief for the results and the experience. But in sports, they know that they have to start every single year to win that championship trophy, whether it's football, baseball, or whatever it is. And they know that the team and the culture of the team will determine their success more than their athletic abilities. And that's what we have to start off. You've got to mandate that people have the right attitude, the right belief, and you have to be willing to remove those who don't. Man, I'm – can I just stop right there? And let, and I say, yeah. That is um, so true. And man, I, I tell you, if I can talk about one of my biggest leadership failures, it was for that exact same reason. Because I, I early on in, in my junior corporate leadership realm, after coming in the Marine Corps, I just kind of had the mindset, man, if everybody just thought like I did, everybody would, it, this would be, everything would go swimmingly well. Which in theory, I guess it would. But then I had those bad attitudes, those couple, you know, that 10% with that were just dragging everybody down. And I put 80 to 90% of my time, energy and resources trying to lift those two dead weights, you know, to bring them from a D level to a C level. And what a freaking disaster. You know what I mean? And let me, and Richard, let me tell you, so you got me right into point number two. And so what happens is in management doing exactly what you said in management, the biggest mistake they make is they focus on the ones who need the attention versus deserve the attention. See in sports, coaches only work with the top players. Right. And then therefore all the other players are begging for the coach to see them like coach, watch me, watch me coach. Like a kid right out of four. Watch me, daddy, watch me. Well, that's because the coach's involvement is a reward for you doing the right things and having the right mindset. See, in business, we reward those who have the wrong mindset, the wrong business. And so therefore, the manager's involvement is not a reward. It's a consequence of failure. Mm -hmm. And so when you go spend your time with the top people, the first thing in their mind is what? Uh Uh-oh. What I do wrong. Exactly. (laughs) Because you only spend time with those who flunk, not pass. And so I always tell leaders, the second step of being a coach is spend the time with those who deserve your attention and eliminate those or don't spend as much time with those who need your attention. Now, there are some asterisks to this. The first one is this. This does not include new hires. And I I talk about this in the book. When you hire someone new, they're not going to be your top performers. But you know what football teams do in the NFL? They bring the new hires in early and first, and they give them all their attention. And they decide what new hires they're going to keep and what new hires they're going to get rid of, right? And that's cut day, right? right. They have to get on that 52-man roster. Well, in business, we should do the same thing. We bring someone in. We give them everything we got. And we tell them up front. I say, Richard, when I hire you, I say this, Richard. 
not everybody who comes in our organization is a good fit. And not every organization you work for is going to be a good fit for you. So let's make a promise to each other. If at any time in the first 30, 60, or even five days into this job, I see you having the wrong mindset, doing the wrong disciplines, or I see any time that you're not a good fit, I'm going to tell you that. And then I want you to do me a favor. If any time you see that this is not the right organization for you, come in my office and let's talk about it. And if it's not the right fit, let's make the decision early so we don't ruin you as a person and us as a company spend a lot of money. And when you have that clarity up front, the breakup is not a consequence of failure. It's a breakup of mutual understanding. And and so now we don't have that fight. So again, going back to the second point, if you want to coach people, you got to spend your time with those who deserve the attention versus need the attention. Because here's the facts, Richard. No leader can coach an employee if the employee views the coach's involvement as a consequence of failure. That is just absolute gold, Nathan. I'm just so glad that you said that. It's absolute. I mean, it's so true. I mean, it's almost like you think about how we're, we're conditioned, even in the, in the corporate setting, to when we do performance review, reviews. That's set up for failure. I sit across from you and I go through the list of, of, you know, what you did good, but I spend most of my time talking about where you can improve, right? It's like the betting. I'm not betting on the strengths. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll highlight the weaknesses, but why aren't we focusing like a coach does on your strengths, making sure you're finding you're in the right seat, you're doing the right thing, and we're, and we're improving on those strengths. We're not spending all our time, energy, resources on the failure piece. That's what I'm getting from this. <laughs> Well, and, and I'll tell you, I tell leaders, listen, that is unbelievably powerful, but you've got to make sure that you adequate, you adequately apply that only to skills and not attributes. And here's what I mean by that. If someone's bad at – let's say someone's really smart and they're a great engineer, but that's their strength. And the manager says, yeah, and, but their weakness is they have a bad attitude, they're not a team player, and they're negative. Okay, that doesn't count. Yeah. Everyone has to have a good attitude. Be po- Everyone has to be positive, have good attitude, and have to believe that they can achieve greatness. That's an absolute bare minimum. And if you were to say, Richard, think of the organization you work with. If you said the number one requirement for you to have this job is you have to have a positive attitude, you have to have a belief system that you can do better than what you're doing, and you have to desire to be better. How many people do you think you've worked with in your past would not meet that basic requirement? Yeah. No kidding. And that's not – and that, but but that's not what you're talking about. So once they meet that basic requirement, then they go to what you're talking about. Their skill set. They're really good at this, but they're not real good at that. Yeah. Well, let's just make them so good at what they're good at that it outshadows what exactly. they're bad at. Yep. I can't agree more. But the but the mindset piece. There's no room for negotiation. Yeah. And that's that's one of the hardest parts. So um, so again, the culture who you spend your time with. And the, uh, another, the next one is embracing conflict. In management, we are terrified of conflict. Yeah, which, right? is, which is a shame, right? Because so many great, that's where all the significance and the magic comes from is that healthy conflict. It does. And so what happens is when, you, when you're afraid of conflict, you skip the healthy conflict and all you end up engaging is, is the negative conflict. Because if you avoid conflict, ultimately – 
you're going to get to a point to where you have to fire someone or they get so miserable they end up quitting. And all you're dealing with, you're not doing any conflict to make someone better. You're dealing with conflict to remove or resolve an issue that should have been resolved a long time ago. What coaches do, so that's how managers typically do it. They 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 pacify, they they just kind of let it go, let it go until it gets so big they have to deal with it. And at that point in time, you could have fixed it earlier, but now it's so bad it's beyond fix, it's beyond repair. What coaches do is as soon as you make the smallest mistake, they come to you and say, Hey, Richard, no, 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 do it this way. I know, I know this is your intent, but do it this way. And they are fixing you and they're having conflict, not because they're mad at you, but because they, they care about you. They want you to be better. And, and in management, we look at it like, Oh, that's micromanaging. It's not micromanaging. I ask leaders all the time if I could tell you how to make, make a million dollars a month, would you want me to let you figure it out on your own? Right. Give you just a little bit or give you step-by-step instructions. And they say step-by-step instructions. And I said, if you want to make your people better, give them step-by-step instructions, not to micromanage them, but to prepare them to be successful. Yeah, it is amazing sometimes when we're so afraid of that that term micromanagement. I don't want to be known at that. But then we go to the other extreme. We think, well, I'm just going to – you know, you become this kind of – you know, crazy maniacal delegator, you know, it's almost becomes laissez-faire. And it's, and to me, I equate it, you know, like teaching your kid how to drive, right? I mean, you're not going to, first time you take your kid out to drive, you're going to go step by step with, you know, you're not going to give them the keys and make them drive in an icy road at night. You know, you're going to, yeah. you're going to ease into it. And some people are going to be better at it than others. I mean, that's, give them the step by step. I love that you said that. Yeah. And, and I always tell people an absent leader a leader that is not needed, and when I mean needed, I don't mean needed for the day to day. Tell me what to do because I don't, I can't, I don't have right. a brain to make my own decision. I mean needed in the sense that you're not actually coaching your people. It is like an absentee parent. You mm-hmm. can say what you want, but very few kids become great successes out of absentee parents. In fact, those who do become successes become success despite their parents. Here's the difference. Parents, parents aren't getting paid to be a parent. Right. A boss is getting paid to be a boss. And so one of the things that I think leaders do is they look – when, when someone – people listen for one of two reasons, either to learn or defend. Yeah. And that's one of the greatest things about children. See, children always listen to learn. As we get older and adults, the reason why we're harder to teach isn't because our brains – or have or have a less of an ability to learn. It's because our egos won't get out of the way mm, long right. enough for us to listen right. and and challenge what we know to be true. And so, part of coaching and the reason why micromanaging coaching looks so similar is because the actions are the same. They're both heavily activity based. They're both heavy result based, and they both require heavy involvement. The biggest difference between of acti- micromanaging and coaching is determined by the coach's intent and their actions. Let me give you an example. If I am giving you the activities to say, hey, listen, Richard, you need to do these activities because this is what's going to take to be successful in your career. And then I hold you accountable to those activities. And then you and I talk about how you're going to do things before you do them. I'm preparing you for it. I'm coaching you. Now, you take those same actions and you change my intent. And then I say, do it your way, and if it fails, you're going to do it my way. Now I give you my way. Now I'm giving you activities, and I'm holding you accountable to those activities, not because I want you to be better, but because I think you're a failure. And then 
I, I don't prepare you for a meeting. I wait till you get done, and then I give you feedback of everything you did wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> Same actions. Yeah. But one is doing it to, as, a, as a proactive behavior to make you better. Another one's doing it as a reactive behavior to change you. And so a lot of the times what happens is when leaders are disconnected, they only get involved when there's a problem. Yeah. Love it. All right. So culture, spend time with those that deserve it. Conflict. What else? And the biggest one yet, practice. Yeah. You know, what? if you – this is a simple question you can ask any leader. And, and leaders, if you're listening to this, write this down. Write the five things that describe your best employee. And every one of those, in those five things, is going to be – every one of those will be some type of soft skill. They're, they're go-getters. They have a, they, they, they'll do whatever it takes. They're, they're learners. Uh, they got great talent. And they want to get better. Everything about them has nothing to do with their knowledge or their experience of how long they've been doing it. It's what really determines the greatness of people is their soft their soft skills. Well, our soft skills are things that we can learn. And so compare it to golf. Uh, I've been golfing for 20 years. And Richard, I still suck. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> I do. I've, I've, I'm a I'm a if I break if I break 90. Trust me, you're going to see me a year, year later, and I'll still have that card on me, right? Right. And so – but the reason why I'm not good at golf is because I don't practice golf. Now, in sports, if you have a child – do you have children, Richard? Yeah, I do. I have four girls. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how old is your youngest girl? The youngest is 12. Okay. Does she play sports at all? No. She uh, – does she, does she have any activities outside of school? Um, yeah. I mean she – What does she do? Uh, she, I mean she – rides bikes and she, I mean, that's her big thing is riding a bike, I guess. Okay. So let's use riding bike. The more she rides her bike every day and practices riding her bike, or if she wants to play softball, if she wants to play on a softball team, she has to practice. Would you agree exactly. with that? Agreed. Of course. No, no, no argument. Correct. No argument. And the more she practices, the better she's going to get. Correct. Correct. And if your child said, dad, I want to play softball for college and get a scholarship. What would be the first advice you give her? I would say we've got to practice every single day until the day that you graduate. Exactly. And that is a childhood hobby. Now, in business, professionals don't practice. Our ego gets in the way and we say, yeah. oh, I've been doing this for 20 years. I know exactly what I'm doing. You know about the product and the service that whatever you sell or you service or you're in HR or you're in operations or you're in engineering, you know about the, the task that you do. But how often do you practice being better at who you are? And so the skills that get us promoted and get us customers and get us success is our soft skills. Right. And so I take this – the biggest part of coaching is how often do you manage your people practicing? I'll give you an example. You, you said you spend a lot of time in airports. Yep. How often do the people you walk into stores greet you in a bad way or service you in a poor way? It's mm. a lot. When you think about a it. lot. Customer service if, is bad generally everywhere. And that is all management's fault. Yep. Because if they were to practice with their people and say, okay, let's practice saying hello and greeting to a customer. And most employees will tell you that's so stupid. I know how to do it. Yeah, but we do it wrong. Mm -hmm. And so we learn and teach leaders how to get people to practice the most basic steps, how to answer the phone, how to greet. And don't teach them. When we teach something, we learn it. I mean practice. So, so give you an example. 
you know how to answer the phone or you know how to talk to people. Now let's practice answering questions. Yeah. And and you could practice that one way and keep and you do it every single week. Whatever skills that make your people better, practice them every single week. And here's a question I always ask leaders. Are the people who've worked for you for the last three or five years, are they any better than they were when you hired them? Or are they just smarter and more knowledgeable about your business? Yeah. Are they any better? In other words, if they had communication weaknesses, they were hard-headed, they, they uh, interrupted people when they spoke, They all these things, are they any better at those things than they were when you hired them? And in most cases, our employees are more tenured, but they're not better. That is so spot on. And I, I'm just thinking about times that some of the leaders that I've had in, in both in the Marine Corps and the corporate arena – in particular, in the corporate arena, I had a um, pretty good mentor, and it was always the attention, and it resonated with me because the Marine Corps always talked about it. The, it was the attention to detail, right? And there was a reason behind that. So you're always trying to improve, no matter how small um, the the task or the idea, because the details matter. Is kind of Marine Corps philosophy. But I had a bo- uh, mentor boss that I worked for in the corporate arena. I mean, everything from again, maybe you shouldn't, you know, maybe you should, you know dress a little more professionally. Not that I was a slob, but hey, just step it up one more notch, you know? I like what you're wearing, but step it up a notch. Hey, you know what? I was listening to your voice recording the other day on your voicemail. It might be better if you do this because this is what we're trying to portray to the people who answer the phone, right? I mean, so they were always pointing it back to the level of detail or the intent of the overall organization of where we wanted to take it. Even those small details of, hey, maybe get a more, maybe get spend a little 10 more dollars on your pair of slacks Hey, change this little bit on your voicemail because those things matter because, and he would point back to the values and what we're trying to do in the organization, because this is what we're trying to project. And that's what the Marine Corps does, right? It's all those little yeah. things. Like, and, and the only thing I would challenge that leader too, is he was doing everything right. Is I would challenge to say that before they ever left a voicemail, by the way, guys, when you go to set your voicemail up, make Perfect. sure you're doing this and here's why. That's the practicing piece, right? That's yeah. Set, it's and, setting and the I'll expectation. give you an example. Yeah. There, Everyone wants this high intensity in their office, right? They want you. You want to walk into the store and you want to feel that energy, right? Right, right. And, and it makes you feel good. And and so every organization is striving for this high intensity. Now, what they end up getting because they don't coach is they get high tension, and high tension is bad. And and let me give you the difference. High tension is. Um, we need to achieve this this level of excellence. Here's our expectation, and then you gotta do it. And, they, and so they get these high expectations, and they hold them accountable. They're they're a company on high on accountability, and so everybody's worried to death. They don't do this, they're gonna get fired, and so therefore they have this high tension. The difference between high intensity and high tension, the high intensity group has the exact same um, rules. They have this high standard they all have to keep, and and we're gonna do it. And then they're very strong on accountability. So if you're not going to do it, you're fired. But the one thing they do different, which allows them to be high intensity and not high tension, is they have one most important step they do in between, and they teach and Mm -hmm. coach the people how to do the activities they expect. So instead of saying, I need you to leave a good voicemail, they teach you how to leave a good voicemail. Yeah, which is – yeah, I love that difference. And that that's kind of the difference in what I've always said between leadership and management. Leaders are not afraid to get down and, you know, you don't like how that foxhole is getting dug. You don't like how that toilet's getting cleaned. 
don't be afraid to show them how you want it to do through the teaching aspect. You have to be able to get down in there and say, this is how I want it to be done. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you, right? That's what coaches do. That's right. And you think about right. little league sports. I mean, that's what a coach did. Here, let me show you what you're doing wrong. Here, let me show you what we expect. Yeah, it's it's when you're sitting there talking at talking about it with you at zero speed, you're like, oh my God, this is just common sense, right? But, it is. But the practicing peach, I, I can say that I can already hear well, I don't have the time to do it. You know what I mean? That's right. I can, I can just right. bet you that's what most people are saying. All right. So let's treat everyone like your 12-year-old daughter. I don't have time to do it. So if your daughter said, Dad, I got a lot of homework, but I don't have time to do the homework, what would you say? I'd say, well, we got to make time. We got re- to look yeah. at our schedule and, and figure it out. D- Dad, you're not listening to me. I don't have enough time. Okay. So why don't you and Mama do it? What would you say? I'd say no. I mean, well, I'd, I'd personally, I think I would lay out and say, look, what is your goal? Is your goal is you want to get a scholarship? Then this is what we have to do. We have to figure it out. Yeah. And I got to tell you, if you live in my house, it's not an option. Yeah, we're going right? to do it. Now, here's what's funny. Here's what's funny. We hold a 12-year-old girl to a higher standard than we do a 31-year-old adult we pay. <laughs> right. We, we allow a, an adult who we pay to tell us they don't have enough time. And yet we won't let a 12-year-old tell us that we don't have enough time. Exactly. And, and so here's my point. Everyone has enough time to practice, and I always ask – let's put this in the sales approach. I, I was doing a workshop the other day, and the sales rep said, yeah, I don't have time to practice. The exact same thing you said. He goes, I have three appointments a day, and I don't have time to practice. So let me ask you a question. How long does it take you to drive to one of your average appointments? He goes, anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. I said, how long is your appointment? He goes, an hour. I said, so let me get this right. It takes you two hours to go on one sales call. He goes, yep. Yeah. And if you go on three sales calls in a day, that's six hours. Yep. I said, so let me get this right. You both, you and I both agree that if you practice, if we scrimmage, got into character, you call it role playing. But if you got into character and you scrimmage, you and I both agreed if we scrimmage it three or four times really quick, 20, 30 minutes, you would do better at every one of your appointments. He goes, yep. I said, so you think logically you don't have time to practice 30 minutes to guarantee the success of the next six hours? Your closing ratio right now is less than 30%. If you practice 30 minutes before you win those six appointments, your closing ratio would go up to 60%. Now, all we're asking, if our, chi- if our child told us, I don't have time to study for 20 minutes to take a six-hour test to get an A instead of a C, you would ground your yeah. child for a year for being so ignorant. That's <laughs> <Right. laughs> so Yet, true. Yep. We let adults choose it. And so my, my, my point to the young man on, on the other side was, listen, I'm not telling you to be like me. I'm not even telling you what to say. I'm not even telling you you're not good enough. All I'm saying is if you're already good, all I ask of you is commit to making yourself better so you'll have more success. Yeah. Everyone has time to practice. It's just like those who say they don't have time to work out and that's why they're not in shape. It's just an excuse. Yeah. And as coaches, and again, this is another difference between coaching and managing, management accepts excuses if they can relate to them. Yeah. If they have the same problem themselves to have. Coaches will never accept an excuse because they know no one's ever paid us for an excuse. I love it, man. You know, I was I was just thinking when you were talking there, um, when you look at the professional aviation community, and again, you know, when you the ultimate the cream of the crop is to get to one of the legacy carriers or one of the, the legacy um cargo carriers, right? That's where you're gonna make the most money. Yeah. So it's a it's a profession, right? Just like anything else, a doctor, a dentist whatever, lawyer. And it's amazing when you look back at the training, the ones that do really well and the ones that succeed and the ones that propel, it's like every 
opportunity that you have, even when you have passengers and when you're sitting there, you're thinking now, when you get to this level, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it's like, yeah, you know, you don't, it's not that you don't have time. It's just like, uh, you get kind of complacent. That's what you got to battle. It's not so much the time you get complacent, but any, any professional pilot is going to tell you that, look, every approach that we do, and I can, I can vouch for this, that when you're doing it, you're always thinking about the what ifs. So you're always training, no matter when it's a normal standard and, and 98% of your days are that way, but you're always training, thinking about, hey, well, let's do this. What would we do if we do this? So the training is continuous. That's what we'd always say. And I, that was my point is that you can yeah. find the time, even like that drive-in with that guy going through, what's going to stop you in that 45-minute drive to scrimmage with your other peer on a, even on the phone, right? What's to stop yeah. you? Well, and and that's the aspect of coaching versus managing. And so I always tell people, most companies, and and so I'll do over seventy events this year, and people say, how many companies will actually do it? I'll tell them less than ten yeah. percent. And it's not because they don't agree with; it. they all agree with it. It's coaching is a very difficult culture to really implement. It's time consuming. And most importantly, it's a selfless act. Yep. And what I mean by that is you have to be when you look at accountability, it's hard on the it's harder, it's harder on the leader than anyone else. Because when you hold people accountable, it makes the person better, the team better, it's better for the company, it's better for the customer. The only person it's hard on is the leader because it takes their time and their energy. And then depending on where that person goes up the organization or out the organization, it creates more work. And so being a coach is a lot more time-consuming and more difficult than just being a great leader. Yeah. And that's why so many leaders don't do it. doesn't mean they're bad leaders. It just means they don't coach. And I love that you said that because, you know, because the hardest thing is to be that leader in the middle where you've got to lead up, you got to lead to the side, and you got to lead down, which is a very tough place to be where you find a lot of mid-level managers and leaders. And you're right. And you're getting that pressure from the top to drive in numbers, to drive in performance. And you're like, but I'm coaching my foot. I don't care. What? So what? I need results now, right? That's that's it, always going to be the argument. And Richard, this will be another podcast we'll do. I'm actually writing a book right now. I'm almost done with it. Called the, it's and I called the leader in the middle, but it's about the leader in the middle. And it's how do you serve up yeah. and coach down? And it's all the difficulties that those leaders deal with. And I'm actually finishing the book. Uh, and we go to, hopefully we go to sell by the uh, end of summer. Oh, I can't wait to read that because that's where, I mean, I have some real, you talk about some, some dark days in my leadership journey. It was that is not, and I learned the hard way what it was like to, and I didn't focus enough or the right way, or I was taken by surprise by the inability, my inability to lead up successfully. I was so yep. focused on the sideways and the down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's, that's going to be that, that balance. And, and so what I tell, what I'm working on right now is you serve up. And what I mean by that is your job is to make your is to do everything your boss wanted 10 times better. A lot of people can confuse serving up with sucking up. Yeah, right. Serving up, serving up means if you came to my house, I'd give you clean towels, I'd make you the best meal, I'd serve you because you're my house guest. That's how you should treat your boss. Yep. That you should serve them and then coach down. That the way you serve your people who work for you is not to not to get obstacles out of their way, it's to make them bigger than the obstacles. You serve your people who report to you by coaching them. And and, and so when you do that, you bring the whole organization into alignment. And so you, now you're coaching from top to bottom. And, and so that's, man, I, I appreciate having you on. That's kind of the, if you look at the, the aspect of what the leadership playbook's about, it's not just what coaching is, but from start to finish, why you do it, how to do it, and what to do. 
I love it, man. I, Nathan, I got to tell you, I mean, we're approaching 40 minutes here. And I, I mean, I consider it literally talk to you for another three hours about this, but we'll have to bring you back and talk. But I'm so happy and thrilled that I came across your material. I'm so happy that we've made this connection because I, I, and I, and I don't say this to, I mean, I love all my guests and, and I enjoy doing this, but this has been a true thrill because you are, you are definitely in the dose of leadership tribe. You speak the language that we talk about here on this show. And I'm so excited to dive into more of your material. I'm looking for your new book coming out. And it is true. The, the principles of coaching, like you talked about, you know, making the team bigger than, than any individual, the conflict, you know, don't be afraid of it. Use it to your advantage. Um, what else do we say here? Um, let me t- look at my focus, notes. Focus on those who deserve the attention. Yeah, the des- oh, that was my favorite one. You know, making sure that you're spending the time with the people that deserve it. Yep. Making sure you're investing in that culture and then practicing, making sure that we, I mean, everything should be about practicing continuously. I love it, man. Good stuff. So the leadership playbook, I've just started it and, and I'm, 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 I'm already a third into it. I'm like, this is just great stuff. I highly encourage the listeners of the show to read it. There's also, I haven't read it yet. The sales leaders playbook and then the sales professionals playbook. So I'm going to dive into all those as well. Nathan, I can't tell you how much fun this has been to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on. Brother, thanks for having me. It's great to be here, and uh, best of luck to you. Yeah, well, real quick, how can people connect with you? How can they find you? How can they reach out to you? So um, they can connect me on uh, my website, which is www.nathanjamel.com. That's N-A-T-H-A-N-J-A-M-A-I-L.com. We have videos on YouTube. Um, uh, we're in social media and all that, but reach out to us, uh, and we'd love to talk to you. All right, man. Thanks. Guys, check this guy out. This is the real deal, and I'm so happy to have him in the Dose of Leadership Tribe. Nathan, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Richard. Have a good day. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to legacyleaderblueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access, to my online leadership course. That's LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show.